Would you uh, take the Word of God this evening with me and turn to the book of Exodus and uh, chapter 23. Exodus and chapter 23. Back in chapter 21, we began to look at the judgments of the Lord. And we classified um, the law into three different categories. There is first, um, we might call it the moral law of God, the Ten Commandments. Those uh, are universal in nature in that I believe it is what Romans 2 refers to, that the law of God is written to the heart of man. To where there is a sense of morality and uh, right and wrong in every man, and God has written that in the heart of man. And one of the witness, one of the witnesses of that is the conscience. And so that is why today you can go to the deepest jungles of Papua New Guinea and preach the gospel and tell men where they are wrong and they will immediately be under the conviction of the Spirit of God because they know the truth. It's in them. There's also a second classification of the law of God and that is the, well, let me deal with the last one, the ceremonial law, which deals with the religious activity of the nation of Israel surrounding the tabernacle and the feasts and all the observances and the rules pertaining uh, with the sacrifices and all those things. And, and that begins in Exodus chapter 25. But we've been looking at the judgments of God, and that deals with the social law with regards to the nation of Israel as a nation. Now, we understand today that we're part of the church. We are not under the law. Part of that means that we do not have those observances, the ceremonial observances they had surrounding the tabernacle. Uh, we have something much greater than that. We have Christ himself. Uh, and so he is greater. Uh, the book of Hebrews spends some time talking about how Jesus Christ is greater than Abraham, he's greater than Aaron, he's greater than Moses, he's greater than Melchizedek, he's greater than anything. He's the great sacrifice, he's the great high priest, he's better than anything that you find in the Old Testament which were there just to testify of who he would be and what he would do. And, uh, and so we do not observe the ceremonial law, uh, nor do we act as a nation today. We're part of the New Testament church. And that means that although we do not observe those things. And what I mean by that is observe in the sense of um, we observe the law, but not in the sense of we carry out the consequences that were to be carried out then. For example, if you dishonor your father and mother, you could be stoned. Well, we don't abide by that. Okay. Now, we do believe that it's right and we teach that a, father, a son should honor his father and mother. You see, we don't do away with the law in the capacity that we forget about it, that we think it's unimportant or that it doesn't reflect the character of God or that the character of God has changed. But there's a different way that the law is carried out within the life of the church. It's still right for children to obey their parents and to honor father and mother. But if they don't do so, we don't stone them. So that's what I mean by we hold to the law. We believe it's good, it's holy, it's spiritual. But we are not, are, are, we're not under that law. But in every point, whether it is the moral law of God or the ceremonial law of God or the judgments of God, the civil laws of God, they all point to the character of God and to who God is. And therefore, as we study the, these Old Testament judgments here, we can learn some things uh, about human nature, but we can also learn some things about God that will benefit us. And so, uh, what I'm going to try to do tonight is to think about the judgments that are laid out here in chapter 23 from verse 10 down to verse 19, and to see the value of those judgments for the nation of Israel, and to consider some lessons that we can learn today and apply to our own lives, things that would benefit us today as part of the church. And so Exodus chapter 23, let's begin reading in verse 10. Would you stand with me for the reading of God's word out of honor and reverence for God? Uh, this is the word of God. It's the word of God. And it's a wonderful thing to be able to have it, isn't it? Amen. I uh, was uh, thinking about um, Dr. Sorensen this morning was talking about uh, the copies of God's word and uh, um, 
you know, in um, many countries that did not have the Word of God, often they would have a page, and they would pass out the page, uh, the Word of God. There's a, a preacher who went to China, and uh, the, the people there in China were gathered uh, during a meeting, and they met on Sunday, and the meeting went all day. And the people couldn't get enough of the Word of God. Um, and um, they had a limited amount of scriptures to pass. And uh, one of the women, when he, the pastor says, well, turn to First Peter. And uh, the, uh, the, one of the women who received a Bible says, well, I, I, I don't need a Bible. And she passed it to the Bible to her neighbor. And after the, the, the meeting, the pastor inquired and said, well, why did you pass the Bible to your neighbor? And she says, well, I've, I've memorized First Peter. And uh, the pastor had asked about how many of those uh, Christians had gone to jail, and a majority of them had gone to jail for, for some amount of time. And he said, well, when, when did you memorize the Scriptures? Well, when I was in jail. And he said, well, how did that happen? You didn't have a Bible. Then he says, well, the Christians would come visit us, and they would slip a piece of paper, and they would give us a portion of paper. And uh, he said, well, wouldn't they confiscate the piece of paper? He says, well, that's why you have to memorize fast. And the idea there is I'm thinking there is a, a, a thirst for the Word of God. And um, many of them, when they receive just a portion, they hold it close to their heart because it's meaningful to them. It's the words of God. The God of heaven, the creator of the universe, wants to speak to us. And certainly it's a precious thing. So Exodus 23, verse 10, and the Bible says, In six years thou shalt sow thy land and shalt... Gather in the fruits thereof, but the seventh year thou shalt let it rest and lie still, that the poor of thy people may eat, and what they leave the beast of the field shall eat. In like manner thou shalt deal with thy vineyard and with thy oliveyard. Six days thou shalt do thy work, and on the seventh day thou shalt rest that thine ox and thine ass may rest, the son of thy handmaid, and the stranger may be refreshed. And in all things that I have said unto you, be circumspect, and make no mention of the name of other gods, neither let it be heard out of thy mouth. Three times thou shalt keep a feast unto me in the year, thou shalt keep the feast of unleavened bread, thou shalt eat unleavened bread seven days, as I commanded thee, in the time appointed of the month Abib. For in it thou camest out from Egypt, and none shall appear before me empty. And the feast of harvest, the first fruits of thy labor, which thou hast sown in the field, and the feast of ingathering, which is in the end of the year, when thou hast gathered in thy labors out of the field. Three times in the year all thy males shall appear before the Lord God. Thou shalt not offer the blood of my sacrifice with leavened bread, Neither shall the fat of my sacrifice remain until the morning. The first of the firstfruits of thy land thou shalt bring into the house of the Lord thy God. Thou shalt not seethe a kid in his mother's milk. I'd like to preach this evening. I'll give you the title. Hopefully by the end we understand the title. But have we forgotten the Lord? Have we forgotten the Lord? Let's pray. Father, we thank you this evening. We are grateful first for your word and how you speak to us. We are grateful that when we heard the gospel, your Holy Spirit spoke to our hearts and we came under the conviction in our, of our desperate sinfulness before a holy God and we understood what Jesus did for us and were gloriously born again by the Spirit of God and for that we are grateful. But Lord, we know that you didn't end there, but that is, was just the beginning and you speak to us and you teach us from your word. And Lord, help us as we know from the New Testament that those things that are written for are written for our learning. So Lord, help us to learn something this evening that might be of benefit to us. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So since Exodus chapter 21, we've seen the judgments of God and those judgments so that we are reminded of are given so that the judges in Israel would judge their people and he puts forth some areas where uh, relationship among 
their fellow men in Israel would be judged by those judges and that God puts forth those judgments so that the judges would have the ability to discern and to, by the authority of God, to carry out a specific judgment or punishment as a consequence. God instituted government generally for the purpose of two things, to punish those who do evil and to reward those who do good. And the judges are to act in that capacity, but as we've proceeded through those judgments, we've seen that there are certain judgments that do not necessarily have consequences that are carried out by the judges, but God says in certain respects that He will be the personal avenger if they break certain laws. Or judgments. Uh, there are other areas where God doesn't mention any uh, consequence, but He focuses really on the heart and on the spirit of the people of Israel. And He gives a warning at the beginning of chapter 23 on those who would stand as witnesses in the courtroom or those who would be judges that they would take no bribes, uh, that they would not be influenced by the mob, uh, that they would be very careful as they deal with the people. Uh, that God has given them because ultimately judgment, as we saw, belongs to God. And He wants to make sure that those who represent Him are doing things in the way that He would want it done. They are not to usurp their authority over God. They are subordinate to God. And so God wants them to be very careful as to how they use their authority as judges. But now we come into this next section and we're still in these judgments of God. The ceremonial law does not really begin till Exodus chapter 25. Uh, but here as we look at those judgments, we see that God is going to institute a number of observances. And let me say, as we look throughout the Old Testament, there are observances that are set and they ought to be repeated. And so we, going to, we see here in our text, there are weekly observances. We also see in our text that there are to be uh, yearly observances. He's going to mention here, he mentions three feasts that are to be observed every year. We'll see that in verse 15 and 16. There is also a, um, a, a Sabbath year, and we might say that these are decade observances, that on the seventh year, the seventh year will stand as a Sabbath year where, where they are not to plow or to sow, but that they are to allow the land to rest. And that's not as much as for the land as it is for God and their recognition of who God is. But we also see, and it's not found in this text, but we also know that there are century observances when we think about the year Jubilee, the 50th year. Now, that's not in our text, but the point is, when we study the Old Testament, specifically the first five books of the Old Testament, we find that God instituted a number of observances and they are to be cyclical. They ought to be repeated. And those observances are to be regularly carried out by God's people. And so within that, they are a nation uh, functioning uh, under a theocracy. God is in charge. Moses is God's spokesman who speaks those things to the children of Israel that they ought to observe. But the whole point of those observances, I believe, is this. Because we understand human nature, it is for this purpose that His people would not forget God. Now, at this point, we may say, what do you mean that they might not forget God? We, we've seen all that they've been through since Exodus chapter 12. We have the Passover and... Uh, the Pharaoh told them to leave. They, we have the scene at the Red Sea and then it, it's open and they walk as on dry ground and then they, they go into the wilderness and they see the manna uh, every day and then they, um, they see the water come out of the rock and you see all of God's provision in all of those areas. I mean, certainly uh, uh, when they would see the blessing of God and God's intervention repeatedly in their lives, surely they would not forget God. But they do. They do before they get to this chapter, but certainly they do even after this chapter repeatedly. And this tells us, uh, lest we be too harsh judges on them, we know that human nature is the same in our own lives. That we also tend to forget God. 
And, and I'm not saying here that we cease to believe in God. I'm just saying that sometimes we live our lives and we don't pay much attention to what God has done for us. Or that we fail, uh, we, we don't curse God, but we fail to thank God. And uh, I think that all of us at some point can look at periods in our lives where we have become self-sufficient and we have become We've become very proud of ourselves. And so God is going to institute a number of observances for His people so that they would not easily forget God. And so let's consider some of those observances. The first one He mentions in verse 10 and 11 is the seventh year observance. Uh, We may refer to this, although He doesn't mention uh, this as a Sabbath year, it is, I would like to refer to as a sabbatical year because it is a year where the land is to rest. Just like the seventh day is a rest unto the Lord, this seventh year is a rest of the land unto the Lord. And so every seventh year, the land was to rest. The land must not be plowed or sown. And basically, the land is to be allowed to do, to thrive on the what was planted on the previous year. And so there's to be a year of complete rest. Now, if you hold your place here, turn with me to the book of Leviticus because in the book of Leviticus in chapter 25, he mentions this again. In Leviticus chapter 25, and we have some more details to us and maybe we we might gain some insight as to why God instituted this sabbatical year as the seventh year, every seventh year. In Leviticus, Leviticus 25, notice with me in verse 2. So God speaks to Moses, verse 1, in Mount Sinai, saying... Now, okay, we have uh, the book of Leviticus in large part is an expansion or a commentary on Exodus because there's more that's revealed to us in Leviticus than in the book of Exodus. And so here is a good commentary on what we just read in the book of Exodus, chapter 23, verse 2. Speak unto the children of Israel and say unto them, When ye come into the land which I give you, then shall the land keep a Sabbath unto the Lord. Six years uh, thou shalt sow thy field, and six years thou shalt prune thy vineyard and gather the fruit thereof. But in the seventh year shall be a Sabbath of rest unto the land." A Sabbath for the Lord, thou shalt neither sow thy field, nor prune thy vineyard. That which groweth of its own accord of thy harvest, thou shalt not reap, neither gather the grapes of thy vine undressed, for it is a year of rest unto the land. And the Sabbath of the land, which is the seventh year, so here he calls it the Sabbath, so that's why I refer to it as a sabbatical year shall be meat for you, for thee, and for thy servant, and for thy maid, and for thy hired servant, and for thy stranger that sojourneth with thee, and for thy cattle, and for the beasts that are in thy land, shall all the increase thereof be meat. And so here he expands here on this idea of a seventh year, where the land is to rest, this seventh sabbatical year. Now the question is, as we read those details, is why institute this seventh year pause, this seventh year sabbatical, this seventh year rest. Well, I think here when we read the text, are they in the promised land yet? They're not. The first time it's given, Exodus 23, we have the next, the uh, commentary on that in Leviticus chapter 25. They're not in the land. In the book of Leviticus, it says, when you get there, here's what you're going to do. Now, it is interesting that God does not give His people the observance of the seventh year rest when they get to the land. He gives them the instruction before they ever get there. By the way, it's going to be another 40 years. So why give the people this observance so early before they're even in the land? Well, I think we might say for the, because... They are to purpose in their hearts to observe the seventh year rest before they even inherit the land. 
God wants them to make a decision in their heart. You see, in other words, they're not making a commitment now as far as to carry out that, that seventh year observance now. They are to make a commitment long before they enter into the land. That means that God wants them to make a uh, decision. He wants them to purpose in their hearts before they ever inherit the land that when they get the land, that on the seventh year, they will observe it as a Sabbath unto the Lord. This, This is what it means. They would have to think about And they would need to make a commitment before they entered into the land. I'm reminded of Daniel when he was carried into captivity in Daniel chapter uh, chapter 1 verse 8. We know what he was about to face. He, He knew what kings at that time would do to try to assimilate a nation that had been brought in as slaves. And often they would assimilate these people in their nations and they would make them worship like they worship. They would make them eat like they meet. They, they, if, if that country had any dietary restriction, they would throw all those away. Well, Daniel gets to, uh, the, to, to the new land. And the Bible says in Daniel 1 uh, verse 8, But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. And so again, before it ever comes... Daniel had already made a decision in his heart that when he would ever be offered the meat, he would not partake of it. That whenever he would be offered a cup of wine, strong drink, by the way, that's the alcoholic wine, he would not drink it. He purposed in his heart. And God is trying to teach His people that before they ever get to the place, they have to make a commitment in their hearts and they must think about it before they get there. Why? Because often, if they don't make the commitment now, when they get there, they probably in the moment will not feel or desire to make that commitment when they're in the midst of it. I think it's often in our decision, and I don't know if you've found that to be true in your life, but often when uh, people go astray in any area of their lives, it is often because they have not made a prior commitment that when they reach that crossroads, they will go a specific direction. They let life happen to them, and God often wants us to prepare before we get there that if this happens to me, here is the direction I'm going to take, here is the observance that I'm going to observe, here it is, no matter what happens. No matter what happens. You see, what if the sixth year was a bad year? Does that mean they don't observe the seventh year as a Sabbath? No. They are to make the commitment, by the way, before they ever see the blessing of God. Remember, God is going to tell them, God is going to prosper you and bless you. Your barns are going to be full. You're going to experience the blessing of God. But guess what? God does not want them to make a decision when they're in the midst of God's blessing. He wants them to make a decision before they even enter into the land, before they ever experience any blessing whatsoever. You see, I believe God wants us to make commitments in our lives that whatever happens in our lives, we will remember the Lord no matter what may. We will purpose in our hearts to recognize God's goodness. There's a second reason that we may deduce from the text, and that is they are to when we think about this seventh year, they are to cease in their labor of the land that they might honor the Lord. When we read in our text in the book of Leviticus, he mentions that this sabbatical year is a Sabbath unto the Lord. It is a Sabbath for the Lord. He mentions those two things in the book of Leviticus. Leviticus, A Sabbath unto the Lord, a Sabbath for the Lord. So, It's not so much about the land as it is about the Lord. You see, this is not about the land itself, the dirt itself needing rest. This seventh year Sabbath is about honoring God. You see, the Lord made the land. God made the land to be plowed. God made the land to be cultivated. Uh, The land is not the problem here. The problem is man. And man's tendency, after he puts all his labor and effort, 
that he does not get to the place where he says, well, look at what I've done. He is to take a year of pause and to see the fruit that comes out of that year of pause to see how God can blesses him, bless him without his effort. And so here, they are to cease their labor in the land that they might honor the Lord. In the book of Deuteronomy, by the way, he would tell them that. Why is that so important? Go with me to the book of Deuteronomy in chapter 8. Again, the book of Deuteronomy. Uh, now, Deuteronomy is written to this uh, next generation. Okay, those who, uh, the, those who were 21 and older died off. And, and so Moses reminds this next generation before they're about to come in some important truths. And he says, now you're the generation that's going to come in. Now when you come in, here's what you need to remember. Deuteronomy chapter 8, notice verse 7. For the Lord thy God bringeth thee into a good land, a land of brooks, of water, of fountains, and depths that spring out of valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley and vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey, a land wherein thou shalt eat bread without scarceness, thou shalt not lack anything in it, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills thou mayest dig brass. When thou hast eaten and art full, then... Thou shalt bless the Lord thy God for the good land which He hath given thee. And notice what he says. Beware that thou forget not the Lord thy God. You see, the seventh year is purposely instituted to when they are full. God does not want them to forget the Lord. The Lord, notice in Deuteronomy 8, he says, The Lord thy God bringeth thee into a land. Who brought them to this land? God did. Let's remember that every seventh year. That God brought us in this place. And notice, thou shalt bless the Lord thy God for the good land which he hath given thee. <laughs> Who does the land belong to? It's God's land. So it's not about the dirt. The dirt itself doesn't need rest. It's about the people of God ceasing from their labor. Deuteronomy says, don't get to the place where he says, look at what I've done. Look at what my labor has accomplished. They are to cease from labor and honor instead God for bringing them into the place where they can labor. And so they are to cease their labor of the land that they might honor the Lord. But there's a third thing that we observe, and that is that they are to demonstrate dependence on the Lord. We just read a moment ago in the book of Leviticus that in verse 6 and 7 he says, And the Sabbath of the land shall be meat for you, for thee and for thy servant and for thy maid and for thy hired servant and for thy stranger that sojourneth with thee and for thy cattle and for thy beasts that are in thy land shall all the increase thereof be meat. And so God says, guess what? You're not going to labor in that year, but nonetheless you will see my blessing." They are to demonstrate. In other words, let's cease from the labor to do what? To demonstrate your dependence upon God. The tendency of human nature would be, hey, year six was a full year. If we plow and sow in the seventh year, we can even get greater blessing. But they are not to experience a greater blessing in year seventh they are simply to, ex to experience a blessing that comes without their labor. Here's why this is important. Sometimes we thank God for what we do our own selves. And that's all we thank God for. And we, uh, we often maybe not thank the Lord when never something we, is out of our control or out of our hand and, and maybe we can't labor or we can't make a change. And so they are to demonstrate dependence on the Lord in this seventh year. There's not only this seventh year, uh, you could say this decade observance. And so uh, certainly every ten years, every seventh year within the ten year time frame, uh, there would be this seventh year. And this is to happen consistently. There is no, uh, by the way, there, there are no addendums to this observance. He doesn't say, hey, look, if the year five and six is not good, then you don't have to observe the seventh year. There's not that addendum, uh, addendum in there. So 
we have the seventh year. But then we have a reiteration or a remembrance of the seventh day. And so this is a weekly observance. And so notice with me in um, verse 12. Six days thou shalt do thy work, and on the seventh day, so now we're talking about a week, thou shalt rest, that thine ox and thine ass may rest, and the son of thy handmaid and the stranger may be refreshed. So here we already saw the command back in chapter 20 and verse 8. If you just turn a few pages, remember uh, this was one of the Ten Commandments. In Exodus chapter 20, notice verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days... Uh, shalt thou labor and do all thy work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work, thou, nor thy son, nor thy daughter, nor thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gate. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore he, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Now if you remember, just so we touch on this just uh, uh, for a moment here, the Lord was teaching here His people about the importance of setting a time and a day apart from all other days of the week. It's going to be the same every week. When He says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, the word remember means to, uh, to make, to be mindful of. The word remember is a word that really points us backwards and it points us also forward. Right, because when you think about remember, it's, well, what do they remember? They remember when God created all things in six days. And the Sabbath day, He hallowed the seventh day. He declared the seventh day a holy day. And so when we think about this day that was set apart, we go all the way back. We remember what was, but the word remember means we have to continue to remember again and again and again. So the word remember points us backwards, but it also points us forward. And they are to be mindful. They are to guard this day. Remember, he says, the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And so remember means never forget what was and what ought to be. And the Sabbath was to be remembered as a holy day. Now the meaning of it is that it is to be consecrated to the Lord. If you uh, hold your place here, turn with me to the book of Isaiah in chapter 58. The book of Isaiah and uh, chapter 58. The prophet Isaiah testifies to the nation of Israel and he speaks on this issue of the Sabbath day. In Isaiah chapter 58, notice with me verse 13 and 14. Isaiah 58, verse 13. If thou turn away thy foot from the Sabbath, from doing thy pleasure on my holy day. Notice, if you don't turn away from, you could say, from doing our pleasure to doing God's pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy of the Lord, Honorable and shall honor him, not doing thine own ways, nor finding thine own pleasure, nor speaking thine own words. Then shalt thou delight thyself in the Lord, and will cause thee to ride upon the high places of the earth, and feed thee with the heritage of Jacob thy father, for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. And so he says, look, you have to uh, get some warnings, because he says, I'm warning you, uh, don't do your pleasure, do God's pleasure. Don't speak your own words, speak the words that honors the Lord. And so don't neglect the observance of the Sabbath. And so he told them this, the Sabbath is to be holy, it is to be consecrated to the Lord, it is to be set apart. He is saying to them in Isaiah, uh, other lesser things should not crowd out this time of refreshing. Refreshing not primarily for the physical, although there is a physical benefit, but for the refreshing of the soul. The Sabbath day is to be observed. In verse 13 of Exodus 23, he says, And in all things that I have said unto you, 
He says, be circumspect and make no mention of the name of other gods, neither let it be heard out of thy mouth. Now, the word circumspect means to protect and observe with great carefulness. Be circumspect. And, and the idea of circumspect is the idea is uh, walking on a straight and narrow. The idea here is that there might be uh, ditches on both sides. Be, be circumspect. And so let me give it to you in this way. To be circumspect means to not fall in this ditch over here and say, well, I'm not going to observe. I'm going to forget God. I'm not going to honor the Sabbath. But there's another ditch over here, and that is, well, I'm here. I'm honoring the Lord. Isn't that good enough? But the heart is far removed from God. The Sabbath is designed for the soul of man. So, be circumspect. Don't, don't go out in any direction and don't, uh, don't, don't uh, have, be very careful about this observance. And so, what are things? So, there are to protect these observances. There are to protect them because uh, in those things, whether it is the seventh year or whether it is the seventh day, in those days, God is honored. In that year... God is honored and God is recognized. And so uh, we ask ourselves this question today, what are the things that we today are protecting in our own lives? What are the things that we are protecting in our own lives? We, we certainly do not operate as the children of Israel did in this theocracy but I do still think that there are things that we ought to be protecting in our lives for our souls where God is honored consistently, repeatedly. And if there is nothing that is protected in your life, then maybe something's wrong. Do you protect a time? I'm thinking parents with your children to spend some time around the Word of God. Are you circumspecting that? Are you protecting that time, that important, valuable time with your children? Do you, do you read your Bible faithfully and consistently? Do you protect that time? Are you walking circumspect? Are you, are, do you deem that to be important in your life where you honor the Lord in that way? Are you protecting the time in church? Now certainly we, we don't meet in the same capacity as they did on the Sabbath, but we do meet consistently on Sundays, the Lord's Day. Are, are we protecting that? Uh, do we want to honor the Lord or do, do we just uh, kind of have an attitude of, well, you know, it's what, whatever. Are, what are we protecting in our lives to honor God? They were to walk circumspectly, circumspectly. So he speaks of the seventh year, he speaks of the seventh day, but then he goes into uh, three feasts. In verse 14, notice, three times thou shalt keep a feast unto me. And here there's three feasts, and those three feasts I'll just give them to you. Verse uh, 15, he says, the feast of unleavened bread. Now, that is the feast of the Passover, right? The, pa the feast of unleavened bread is connected to uh, the Passover. Uh, then in verse 16, there are two more feasts that are mentioned. There is the Feast of Harvest, and halfway through verse 16 is the there's the Feast of Ingathering. So why those feasts? Now notice these are three feasts in the year, and so every year they're going to observe those three feasts every year without fail. By the way, uh, mo most of the uh, you could say Orthodox or traditional Jews today still observe those three feasts. What are those three feasts? Well, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, that's the Passover feast. He mentions in verse 15, Thou shalt keep the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Thou shalt eat unleavened bread seven days, as I commanded thee, now back in Exodus chapter 14, in the time appointed of the month Abib, for in it thou camest out from Egypt, and none shall appear before me empty. And so here's the instruction here, given, connected to this feast. It is the feast, the Passover, it is the feast of unleavened bread. So this feast is connected directly 
to their deliverance from Egyptian bondage. And so this feast is about their redemption. And every year, again and again, they, they're holding a feast every single year when God delivered them out of Egyptian bondage. They're going to remember that every year. They're going to celebrate that every year. They're going to recognize what God did for them. And remember, it's nothing that they did of their own selves. They didn't raise up an army, did they? They didn't draw swords, did they? It was God. God says you sacrificed a lamb spotless and He gave all the requirements of the lamb and you sprinkle the door on the, on the doorpost and, and when the death angel comes and passes over and all the firstborn are dead, Pharaoh will send you out. And so Pharaoh ended up who said again and again, I'm not going to let you go. I'm not going to let you go. Who is the Lord that I should obey His voice? Uh, neither will I let Israel go. That man said, leave. They saw God's redemption through the blood. Through the blood. And so every year they're going to remember what? The blood. Their redemption out of Egyptian bondage. Every year. It would do us good to remember the blood. Why? Because the blood tells us where we came from. Does it not? It tells us where we came from. And now it tells us where we are. And here this feast is connected when they enter into the land. They are to observe this feast. Now that they experience the blessing of, the, of God, they are not to forget their place of bondage. They are not to forget the place of slavery. And like uh, in the same way, we as Christians, we were uh, in uh, the slave market of sin. We were bound by the chains of sin and we, there was no way out until Jesus Christ came and His blood was applied. And now that we live our lives and we experience the blessing of God, we should not forget where we came from. But we should remember that consistently and faithfully. The Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Passover feast. This is about their redemption. But then in verse 16 he speaks of and the Feast of Harvest... Note uh, the first fruits of their, thy labor which thou hast sown in the field. Now the Feast of Harvest, interestingly here, is also known today as the Feast of Pentecost. The Feast of Pentecost is a celebration that, begin, that happens at the beginning of wheat harvest. Now this is important. It happens at the beginning of wheat harvest which continues throughout the summer and ends in the fall. And the instruction is given to them here is, bring the first fruits to God. So here's what would happen. The wheat harvest would happen at different periods of time throughout the summer season. And you remember here, he says that this feast, this uh, feast of in uh, or uh, this feast of harvest they are to notice here's the instruction bring the first fruits to God so there's different types of wheat that grows at different seasons and they're not supposed to wait till the end of the season till the end of when everything has been gathered and see okay here's what we got and now let's give 10% to God no he says when the first fruits come when the first harvest is collected, you bring that to God. Well, what if the rest of the year goes bad? You bring the first fruits to God. That is the feast of harvest, the Pentecost feast. And so this feast is connected to their provision in the promised land. You see, this is about, here's what this is about. This is about their commitment to God. Why? Because they are observing the feast, bringing the first fruit and committing the rest of the harvest season to God. It's about their commitment to God. Are they going to be committed to God at the first? You see, often here, here's the mistake we make as Christians. God, if you do this and this and this and this and this for me, then I'll serve you. Then I'll commit myself to you. And here is the complete reverse. God says, the moment you have the first fruits, you bring those to God, 
showing that you're committing yourself to God no matter what happens in the harvest season, you've demonstrated your commitment to God. And so, this is about their commitment to God. They're, the first feast, the feast of the Passover, or the uh, feast of unleavened bread, is about their redemption. The feast of harvest is about their commitment to God. But then we come to the third feast in verse 16. He says, the second part of verse 16, And the feast of ingathering, which is in the end of the year, when thou hast gathered in thy labors out of the field. So this is also known called the feast of tabernacles. The first feast of the Passover is in the spring. Uh, the feast of harvest is at the beginning of summer, runs through the summer. And the feast of tab or of ingatherings or of tabernacles is in the fall. And so this feast is a celebration at the time when the harvest of the fields, whether they be orchards or vineyards, are gathered in completely. Everything is full. Their granaries are full. Their wine presses are full. Their olive presses are full. And this is the time of reward for all their labor. They see the fruit of their labor. What's the instruction for them? Notice. And the feast of ingathering which is in the end of the year when thou hast gathered in thy labors out of the field. You see, the instruction given here is that they are to give thanks singularly to God. This whole feast is about giving God thanks for His blessing upon them. You see, this feast is connected to their bountifulness that they experienced in the promised land. So in the first feast, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, this is about their redemption. The Feast of Harvest, this is about their commitment to God. And... The Feast of Ingathering is about their thankfulness for that which God has provided. If you notice with me back in verse 13 what he says, he says, And in all things that I have said unto you be circumspect and make no mention of the name of other gods. Neither let it be heard out of thy mouth. Why would he say that? It seems to be. What, what's this comment about? Well, where did they come from? Egypt. What did the Egyptians worship? All kinds of gods. The Nile that would overflow every year and just uh, water the land. Natural irrigation system. Wonderful. They had the God of the Nile, the God of the harvest, the God of prosperity, and all those things that they, they connected everything of God's blessing to other gods. And here I'm not, I don't think that he, God says, uh, uh, well, you better not name directly any other God. He says you, you better be careful not to ascribe, not to ascribe the blessing that you experience to anything else or anyone else but God. No one else should be recognized but God, you ought to give thanks singularly to God and no one else. So, the seventh year, the seventh day, every year, three feasts. The Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of Harvest, the Feast of Ingathering. So, what are the lessons that we learn here from the text? Because here, we learn two things, as I've said repeatedly. We learn some things about God, and we learn some things about men. Why is God placing so, such a significance on the observances? It's not so that they go through a ritual. We understand that about God very clearly. That God, in the book of Isaiah, He says, God is after your heart. And it's not just about a mechanical observance that they are to partake in. It's about God. So what do we learn from those things? I think we can take those same truths from this text and apply it to our lives today. How may we apply this? Well, I think here's what we ought to do. Number one, the Lord 
should be acknowledged in our lives often, repeatedly, and in various ways. The Lord should be acknowledged in our lives often, repeatedly, and in various ways. The reason why I say that is you look at all those texts. It seems that God wants them to observe things often. Once a week, once every seventh year, three times a year. Uh, this uh, tells us that God says, hey, this ought to be part of your life. It ought to be part of, your, of what you do. It not, should, not only should be, uh, should be often, but it should be repeated. In other words, you're going to do the same observances again and again and again. Uh, you don't need to reinvent the wheel. You know, perhaps what's going on, going on with churches today where they're going in the wrong direction is they, have to, they think that they have to produce something new, something that's never been seen before. But there's something refreshing about recognizing the same things about God over and over and over and over again. And when it comes to God, we don't need anything new. God is sufficient in who He is and what He's done for us. We don't need to find a new way to recognize God. We just need to recognize Him. And so it should be often, it should be repeated, and it should be also in various ways. You see, there's different ways they're going to do this. The seventh day, it's going to be a whole day set apart. No work in that day. Nobody in the house, no animals, nothing. The seventh year, it's a whole year dedicated to God. Those three feasts, whether it's the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of Harvest, the Feast of Ingathering, those are different types of recognition. The one is, well, they recognize their redemption. That's a, a, a specific type of recognition. The other one is a commitment to God that we give God the first fruit and we commit the remainder of the season to God and we put it in God's hands. And the end is, look at the bountifulness of God. You see, in all of their lives, there is this repetition and there's various ways in which they recognize God. So maybe we ought to ask ourselves, am I not recognizing God in ways I ought to recognize God? Now, we could apply those to those three things. Are we thankful to God for our redemption consistently and repeatedly? The second one is, are we thankful to God and do we recognize God before His blessing comes? With the first fruits. Before His blessing comes. You see, here's the wonderful thing. God is worthy to be thanked and worshipped before He gives us anything. Why? Because He's God. I've said this before. You see, the God that we serve is different than all other false gods because the God that we serve is the kind of God that if He took every single blessing from our lives, we could still worship Him. We don't worship God simply because He blesses us. We worship God because He is God and there is no one else. That's what Job said. Though He slay me, Yet will I trust in Him. You can take any, everything away from me, God, but I will still worship you and recognize you. That's a profound recognition, isn't it? But then there's also the recognition of God's blessing in our lives. We recognize God simply because of our redemption. We recognize God simply because who He is. But we also ought to recognize God when He fills us with blessings. Now, by the way, I believe that those happen in that order successively. You see, it could be that when we bless, we get proud. That's what God warned the children of Israel in Deuteronomy chapter 8. When you're full, don't say, look at what I've done. God's blessing makes us proud. So I think that we have to go back in that order. It says, you know what, maybe we should go back and say, let's just consistently thank God for our redemption. Let's think about where we've come from. And before God blessed us, let's recognize that God is God and we will thank Him no matter wh whether He blesses us and makes uh, us prosperous or not. And when we are prosperous, then we thank God. Could it be that if we don't thank God for our redemption and thank God before He blesses us, that we will most likely not thank Him when He does bless us? And so, God ought to be recognized, acknowledged often, repeatedly, and in various ways 
But also we learn some other things, and that is the Lord never should never be excluded when we labor with our hands. God should never be excluded when we labor with our hands. He says, when you labor and when you plow the field, remember that's the land I brought you in. Now, there's different people who have different careers, and some people are really smart and really intellectual, and some people have... Uh, jobs that makes a lot of money, some uh, not as much, but God blesses people in various ways. But let's remember that even when we labor and accomplish things because of the ability that we have or because of the knowledge or the, uh, uh, if you would, the, the uh, intellectual ability that God has given us, let's not think it's us. He wants them here to have a, a year when they don't labor. No, no effort on your part just because you, you need to recognize that I can provide for you even when you don't labor yourself. That I can bless you despite you. And we ought to do the same in our lives. So if you have talent that nobody else has in here, just thank God for it. And those who don't have that talent don't need to be jealous about it. We just need to thank God for what has been put in our hands. I'll give you three more things and just very quickly in passing for sake of time. But the Lord should be remembered and honored for His work of redemption. The Lord should be remembered and honored before we are personally enriched. And the Lord should be remembered and honored for any prosperity we enjoy. And so may the Lord help us because I believe in this text we learn some warnings about the character of man in his natural state. And what God wants to encourage him to recognize and to, here it is, this is all before they go into the land. They are to make a commitment, a decision in their hearts and in their minds. They ought to think about it before they get there. And so we ought to think about those things. Can I encourage you parents? One of the greatest things you can teach your children is anytime you get a blessing from God, the children ought to hear say, God is good. God is good. I don't usually share personal stories. I much rather preach the word. And I think the word is much uh, greater than any personal experience I've got. But through the years, we've certainly experienced the blessing of God above and, and beyond. But every once in a while, uh, you'll feel the blessing of God so much that it's, it's a humbling thing. Just remember a few years back when uh, the church in Oklahoma gave us the car. And uh, <laughs> it's a strange feeling, you know. Because if I would have ever been shopping for a car, that's not a car that would be in my category. You understand what I'm saying? That I wouldn't look to that type of car. And uh, when they gave it to us, I had to go through the service. I had to endure the service and preach in the service. It was the strangest thing. But when I, I went home, it, it, I just was restless. And the only thing I knew to do was to get down on my knees and to thank God because I didn't deserve this. Such a wonderful gift. Such a help to our family. It was a humbling thing. Now just thank God. That's all I could say. God, thank you. Thank you. I, I don't, didn't know what else to say. But at the same time, there's that wrestling thing going on. Oh, look at what we got. At the very same time. Oh, I, I must have been faithful to God. That's why we've, we've got this. No, no. You see, ultimately, I think the blessing of God brings us to our knees. And we say, God, thank you. I don't want else to say, but I'm going to acknowledge who you are and your blessing in my life. May we do that, not just when we experience the blessing of God, but may we do that simply because we are redeemed 
And may we do that even when we do not see God's blessing in a spectacular measure in our lives. That we would simply recognize God for who He is. You know that moment when I, I received that? Here's the conviction in my heart. I was on my knees thanking God. And <laughs> here's the convicting thing. The Holy Spirit. It's not an audible voice, but I'm saying to you, that's my testimony saying to me, would you fall on your knees? Would you have fall on your knees and thank me if you did not receive that gift? And the truth, I said no. That's no. Well, that ought not to be. That ought not to be. Because God is simply worthy to be recognized and thanked because He's God.